Well, hello, class, and welcome to the final episode of the TM245 Homiletics Podcast. This is going to be a brief one. I feel it's important for me to give you some basic guidelines for a few particular varieties of sermon that we haven't had the chance to do in this class. However, I need to recognize two things. First is the fact that many of you do not plan to go into pastoral ministry. Some of you will go into missions, others of you into curriculum design, and a few of you are not yet sure precisely where you're headed, but I'm confident wherever you go that God will use you. All that to say, many of you may not have the occasion to preach a funeral sermon in your life or to preside at a wedding. That's fine and fair. Some of you, though, may have the chance, and so I need to give you some brief guidance there to help you. Second, though, I have to admit, since I have been called by God not into pastoral ministry, but into uh, a teaching ministry, I actually don't have very much experience in giving these sorts of sermons. I have delivered, I believe, two different funeral homilies, uh, both of them in a prison context, one of them an interfaith sermon, so that was quite challenging, and I have performed the liturgy in a very, very brief reflection over one baptism which is a bit of a crazy story you'll have to ask me about later. However, I have not presided at a wedding, and the one time I was asked, I actually turned down, since I'm not ordained, Um, and at the state I lived in at that time, ordination was required, or else to be an official representative of the state. Anyway, all that to say, I can give you some tips here, but they're going to be more generic in general. The good news is, if you do move on to be ordained and pursue pastoral ministry, then there should be an official training component in many denominations to prepare you for these types of sermons in that denominational context. Okay, so really quickly, let me run you through some things. First, I want to give you a few tips that would apply to all three of these occasional sermons. The first tip is extremely important but I'd like to encourage you to make sure that you have a clear prior understanding of your theology before you deliver these sermons. So here's what I mean by that. Something like baptism is going to be a particularly thorny theological issue. First of all, you've got the question of should you only baptize those who have a profession of faith or baptize those who are infants? But within each of those larger categories, there can be a wide range of theological interpretations of this practice of baptism. So, with infant baptism, for example, I could give you in a class about a dozen different interpretations of what that act may be. And if you're in Historical Theology 2 right now, you've already had several of those interpretations. So, if you don't have a clear grasp of the theology um, that you wish to present— then you're probably going to get a bit fumbled up in your preaching on the act of baptism. Particularly for those in pastoral ministry, some of these thornier church issues, like baptism and the Lord's Supper, are very important for you to sort out before you preach on them. Second, this is a much easier guideline, but to the extent possible, allow the families to have input on what those sermons will be about. In a funeral, the bereaved, so those who are left behind and have lost a loved one, should share with you what they are hoping the service to be about. Are they wanting a space to grieve and to mourn? Are they wanting a space to celebrate? Uh, Well, this is an important opportunity for you to listen to and provide what will be most beneficial for that family. And this is a little bit different than the normal Sunday service. 
On Sunday, you're trying to serve the congregation, but not usually at their direct request. Special opportunities like funerals, weddings, and baptisms are often quite different in that regard. So do let the families have some input there. Next, third, general tip, and this is the last general tip, consider your denominational guidelines. Now, even if you're part of a non-denominational church, there's probably a tradition at this church for how baptisms are done. If previous pastors at this non-denominational church have baptized in one way, and you come in and suddenly add a giant liturgy and a very different theological understanding of baptism, you're going to cause a fight in the church. That's not to say that maybe the baptismal theology doesn't need to change, but if it does need to change, I recommend that you fight that battle in a very slow, respectful, deliberate, and dialogical manner, and not at the actual event of baptism itself. Okay, so any of these areas, you want to have a clear prior understanding of your theology, take input from your family, and from the denominations. Some denominations will give you very clear uh, prescriptions of what you should preach and what liturgy, liturgy should surround that preaching. Now on to the three types of sermons on their own for some general tips. I'll start with the funeral sermon. And many of you had opportunity to present a funeral sermon at the interterm class on the problem of evil and suffering this last year. But for those of you who did not, I'm going to give you a basic crash course in funeral preaching over the next couple of minutes. The first thing that you need to keep in mind is that there's going to be a broad emotional range at these services. There will be people there who are seriously grieving the loss of a loved one. Even if that loved one is saved and the individual grieving is saved and knows that they are in the Lord's presence, they may still be grieving the lost time with that loved one on earth. On the other hand, others might experience a funeral as an opportunity to celebrate the great accomplishments of a relative, perhaps who had been suffering at an old age even through debilitating health struggles. Maybe it's a relief that they are finally able to go and be with the Lord. Probably in any given audience, you're going to have a wide mixture of emotional responses due to the complexity of the grief process and the fact that each individual there is going to have a slightly different relationship with the deceased. So you need to keep this in mind and provide a little bit of space for several different emotional responses within your funeral sermon. Provide a little bit of space for those to grieve who need to grieve and a little bit of space for those to rejoice who might be able to rejoice. Here is where input from the family will be particularly important because the family is likely to be the most emotionally affected. If you can judge that they land more heavily on lament right now, on needing space to grieve, then it's a wise choice to orient your sermon accordingly. If they've already had that time and they're more celebratory, a sermon focusing on, on lament might not meet their spiritual needs at that point. So, pay attention to the emotional range. Next, tell the truth. Don't make a saint out of a sinner. Don't make a sinner out of a saint. Tell the true details of an individual's life as appropriate. Also tell the truth when it comes to eternal life. Or rather, don't tell a falsehood. You are not God, and so you cannot definitively say whether someone is condemned and damned. Even if you could, it would be a terrible thing to do in a funeral sermon. In circumstances where the deceased is not clearly with the Lord, and perhaps there could have been a last-minute change 
on their part. But in circumstances like that, it's ideal to offer a general hope. This is the promise of resurrection, eternal life, and a new creation that God lays out in the New Testament. And so we can have hope that these things may be waiting for the deceased. Next, I encourage you to think carefully about presenting the gospel. And there's a debate here that I went to in our problem, went into in detail in our problem of evil class, and I won't go that far down that road today. But there are some very veteran pastors who preach many funerals who feel that too central of a gospel presentation is inappropriate in the context of a funeral. And it can cause distress for families, and it can actually be counterproductive to evangelism, because it comes across as if you are capitalizing on the suffering of others, trying to push your own agenda. On the other hand, there are individuals who clearly believe that a failure to present the gospel is a failure to share the true hope that you can offer to those who are gathered around someone who has died. And if you fail to share the gospel in that context, some of those individuals may not enter a church building again until the next funeral. It's a very thorny issue. Here, it's helpful to have a clear theological and ministry understanding of your own conviction in this regard prior to the delivery of the sermon. If someone approaches you and wants you to deliver a funeral sermon, and you're under the conviction that you must present a full gospel presentation in that context, you should make that clear up front to the family. Don't surprise them and cause them distress in a funeral. That is the sort of thing that might drive them from the church and might be counterproductive to the overall evangelistic goal that you have. Finally, and this is perhaps the most important, don't speak on God's behalf in giving an explanation for the suffering and loss. I've read far too many stories in my research into the problem of evil of pastors who have boldly explained why it is that God allowed a tragic death to happen because of some perceived spiritual gift. I have never read a story where that explanation, given as the definitive answer, was received as a spiritual comfort. I have only read stories of that causing crises in the faith of an individual. Now, maybe the stories are out there and they're just not getting published. But in my experience in grief counseling as a hospital chaplain and as a prison chaplain, giving theological explanations of this sort is almost always destructive. Moreover, my interpretation of the Bible is that you do not have the gift of prophecy to speak on behalf of God. I am open more to the continued spiritual gifts in other areas, but I believe it's far more clear in places in the book of Daniel, for example, that the gift of prophecy has ceased with the end of the Son of Man's ministry. I can get into that in more detail by email if you'd like. So, those are my tips on a funeral, and that's the sort of occasional sermon I know best. Pay attention to the emotional range, speak the truth about the deceased, offer a general hope if they weren't saved, consider the specific needs of the family, present the gospel, or don't. But make sure you have a clear opinion on this debate before you come into uh, preaching. And finally, don't give explanations on God's behalf. Two more quick occasional sermons. The first is a wedding sermon. Here I'll just say three things. First of all, keep it short. Keep it short. Nobody really cares about your sermon at a wedding, let's be honest. 
but the sermon is still an important component of a wedding. A 30-minute sermon is probably going to frustrate more people than it helps, and most people will probably check out, uh, not pay attention anywhere near the full 30 minutes. Be careful there. Second tip, do make it evangelistic. Whereas a funeral involves grief and loss and suffering. Um, and my inclination here is always to include an explanation of the hope the gospel offers, but probably not to do an altar call. Um, probably not to do an extended, you know, 10-minute gospel presentation at a funeral, unless the family asks for it. Um, whereas the funeral is in that context of suffering and difficulty, a wedding uh, is a context of celebration. Marriage itself, Paul argues in Ephesians 5, is a picture of the union of Christ and the church. The very nature of the Christian ceremony of getting married is gospel-oriented in nature. And so if you're not presenting that gospel, then you're not understanding what the theology of marriage is all about. Third and finally, I would encourage you, do offer concise advice to the bride and groom, something practical that they can work on in their marriage. But realize that they're probably not going to remember this tip at all until they watch the sermon video later. And typically today, uh, sermon uh, wedding sermons are video recorded, as is the whole ceremony. Um, so they'll get a chance to get that advice later on. Third and finally, baptismal homilies. Many churches at the time of a baptism will hold a special service um, dedicated to those baptisms, which will give you the opportunity to preach. It's not usually the case on the Lord's Supper. Most days where you take communion, the sermon will not be on that subject. So baptism is different. A few practical tips here. First of all, I'd encourage you to emphasize what you are in favor of rather than what you are against. I've been in many congregations, and I know this is just anecdotal, where when a baptism occurs, the teaching explains why this baptism is not Roman Catholic baptism. Fine good, but what is it? Oftentimes, brief sermons or teachings of this nature are not as clear in answering that question. There is a time in the sermon or in Sunday school and catechism at the church, your choice, there is a time to explain why your church is different from other churches, why your theological convictions do not line up with the Baptists or the Lutherans or the Roman Catholic Church. But I don't believe that a sacramental context or the context of an ordinance is the appropriate place for that. Second, it can be very helpful to members of the congregation to explain the liturgical elements of the baptism. Now, in some contexts, the liturgy is very complicated. There's a prescribed pattern of baptism in the Book of Common Prayer for the Anglican Church, for example. In other contexts, it will be very informal. At the very least, I would hope that any church you're a part of will baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind that those being baptized are either infants or those who are newly a part of the faith. Those who are new to the faith may not understand all the elements of the liturgy there, so hopefully you've taught them. But because they are new converts or because they are newly born, they're likely to bring many people into your specific church setting who may not normally be at your church and may not understand the liturgy. So tell them in your message a little bit about why you're doing what you're doing and use that as one aspect of what you're preaching on. Third, or fourth, excuse me, and final tip. Um, no, it is third. I skipped one. 
Third tip, uh, I recommend some consistency and some variety here. In terms of liturgy, if every time you practice a baptism, you talk a little bit about its Trinitarian nature, for example, that will reinforce that idea into your congregation, making the practice more meaningful. However, if you give the same sermon at every baptismal service, it will soon fall dead um, on arrival. There will be no spiritual significance. So keep a thread of consistency while adding new variety, new texts, new angles, new applications, and new illustrations. Here, fourth and finally, to help you make that larger variety here, I suggest that you link baptism to the larger scope of theology. What does baptism have to do with Christology? Christ, after all, was baptized. What does that mean? What does baptism have to do with missiology? How is baptism preparing us to go forth and make other disciples? And so forth and so on. As you integrate the doctrine of baptism into other theological doctrines, you'll find that you have much more to preach on, but also that your preaching is far more effective. So, that's a rather whirlwind series of tips for preaching funerals, weddings, and baptisms. I hope it's been helpful, and I wish that I was delivering this sermon to you in person. I miss you all, but I look forward to seeing you again in the fall semester, Lord willing, and if not, at some upcoming Zoom meetings at some date. All the best to you as you write your final book summary, and let me know if I can be of any help to you. Until then, though, be well.